Good morning. It's good to see you all here in the congregation this morning, and we welcome those of you who are live with us on Facebook as well as in the parking lot. This morning, I'd like us to look at the gospel reading in the gospel according to Mark. And I'll be reading in chapter 1, verses 1, and then 14 through 20. And then I'll be skipping ahead to chapter 8, verses 27 to 31. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Let's pray. Father, we come and worship before you this morning, and we ask that your word would speak to us, that we would hear it, and that we would obey. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to that word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have been a Christian most of my life now, and I've heard the gospel preached many times and in different parts of the world. I've read through the gospels many times. Recently, I have been involved in engaging with a group of people in an experience where we're growing together and growing deeper in our journey of faith with Jesus. And what I've realized is that my eyes have been more fully opened to a more coherent understanding of the gospel of Jesus and his call to discipleship. What I've realized, too, is that each one of us has an idea, uh, maybe an image or an interpretation of what the gospel is. I mean, we've heard it many times, right? And yet, I wonder how many of us can say with complete clarity what the gospel is. We've heard it, but saying it is a different thing. And so this morning, the title of this message is, What Does the King Say? 
And it's put in a question form because the king tells us his gospel. And I want us to look at what it is and what it demands, the essence and the response to Jesus' gospel. Most of us know that the gospel refers to the good news, and it comes from a Greek word, euangelion, and when you then translate that, you get the word evangel, like evangel heights. Did you know that our church is the good news church? In the verb form, it is the word we know of as evangelize, which means to declare, to proclaim, to announce the good news. And it used to be used by heralds when they would go out and report significant things, like a new king being enthroned, or perhaps about a royal birth happening, or maybe a victory in battle. In all of the New Testament Gospels, each writer tells us that Jesus preached the Gospel. But it's only in the Gospel of Mark where he gives us his actual words. He begins that Gospel by saying, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in verse 15, he goes on and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. And then next comes the calling of the fisherman when he says, follow me. So when we look at this, we see that the gospel is both a declaration as well as a command, and they go together. But the main point in the declaration is the kingdom of God. And I've realized that in some of my uh, experiences that Sometimes that association or that connection of the gospel with the kingdom of God doesn't always happen. So in order to better understand and share the gospel of Jesus, it's really good to grasp what the kingdom of God is. And so what is the kingdom of God? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus, Jesus uses the word kingdom over a hundred times. And he specifically says the kingdom of God 45 times. So it's a dominant part of what Jesus is talking about. It's a dominant part of his gospel. We know that after Jesus rose from the dead, the gospel author Luke, in his continuation of that gospel in Acts, tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples, and for 40 days he was with them before he ascended into heaven. So what do you think he did? Well, he probably ate with them and walked with them and, and talked with them, just like we heard about in the Road to Emmaus story. And what do you think he talked about? Did he talk about the weather? Or maybe that one day Notre Dame's going to win a national championship? Did he talk about how to build his church. When we look at verse 3 in Acts chapter 1, it says he spoke about the kingdom of God. So before he leaves his disciples to go into heaven, and we look back at the beginning of his public ministry, all that time Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And then we can also look at the Apostle Paul at the end of Acts 
we learn that Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. And fortunately, people are able to come and go and meet with him and talk with him. And what does it say that he was doing? It says he was teaching them the teachings of Jesus, and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. So how would you define the kingdom of God? Well, many books have been written. I mean, seminary courses are all out there galore. I mean, this has really been studied. But the best definition that I've come up with is from a children's storybook. It says, God's kingdom is anywhere God is king. Leave it to children, right? How simple. It's where God's will is being done. Or another way of putting it might be where God gets his way. It's about the reign and the rule of God in our lives. And so what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, we know it's not about a location. It's not about geography, not a church building. It's anywhere. It could be in an act of kindness. It could be in a conversation that somebody has. It could be a spoken, healing word. The kingdom of God is where Jesus' nature and character are revealed. That's important. It's where Jesus' nature and character are revealed. And that could be at home. That could be at the workplace. That could be in school if you're a student. Now, we know from our TV and Internet and in the news, especially these days, where the kingdom of God is not happening. It's very easy to see that. And yet, there are stories out there about where the kingdom of God is. You know, I'm reminded of one story about a month or so ago and the whole peak of this COVID pandemic that was happening in New York City. And I remember seeing a story about how these healthcare workers had left their hospital building after their long shift, taking care of very sick COVID patients. And the citizens there were just giving them an applause. That's the kingdom of God. But there are other stories out there that often we don't hear about. Stories from around the world. I can tell you stories that in Ghana, there are children who are learning to read. And they're learning to read the Bible. Or in Africa or in other parts of the world, there are Muslims who are discovering Jesus, even through their dreams. But it's not hard to recognize that in our world there is a clash of kingdoms. I mean, each of us has our own kingdom. It's where our will is done. And sometimes that competes with other wills and other kingdoms. And one of the best examples we can see of that is in little children. Little children exert their will. I mean, we even have a term for some of it as the strong-willed child. Now, my daughter, I don't think, was strong-willed, but I remember when she was young, that sometimes, you know, she wanted to exert her will. She'd want to stay up beyond her bedtime to watch TV or to play or to hang out. And we had to get her to bed so she could get her rest. Another example might be from myself. 
I tend to be a planner. I like to plan my days. I like to know where I'm going, what I'm doing. And that's an exertion of my will. And yet in all that planning and all that thinking, I have to ask myself, am I following Jesus and his kingdom every day? Or am I trying to fit him into a box, into my agenda, into my way of doing things, into my kingdom? And so this morning I would ask you, how is it with your kingdom? The kingdom of God is about loving God, loving others. I mean, the great commandment, right? But it's all about following Jesus into areas where the kingdom has not been fully placed yet, maybe. And some of that's a dark place at times. But it could be what we talk about in advancing the kingdom. And that can be, like we said, anywhere. But I think cross-culture, I think of our own Lindsay Kalk, who is down in Honduras, sharing the gospel and living out the kingdom through her life and ministry there. But it could be here in America. It could be dealing with the racial prejudice that we find here, and which is part of all the world. So we see that the kingdom of God is essential to the gospel of Jesus. And yet we know that there can be no kingdom without a king. And who is the king? Well, the king is Jesus, Jesus Christ. So I want us to look now at the passage in the Gospel of Mark where we were in chapter 8. I had fast-forwarded to that from chapter 1. And to set the scene, at this point in Mark's Gospel... Jesus has been with the disciples. He's been in his public ministry for about two years. And so he sits down with them in some rural area, and I can just imagine this, and he asks them two questions. Who do people say that I am? Well, they say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say another prophet. And he looks directly at them. He says, but who do you say that I am. And of course, Peter comes up and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. The name Christ, or the word Christ, is not Jesus' last name. It's a title, which is the Messiah. It means the anointed one. And Jesus is God's anointed king, the one who the Jews have long been waiting for as the, the long-awaited Messiah, the, the promised Savior of the world. And can you imagine the power behind Peter's confession when he states that, bold and directly, that you are the Christ it signifies a tur turning point, if you will, where Jesus is recognized as the Messiah. And so I would ask you, too, this morning, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you?
Is he your king? You see, it's not enough to know factually that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, in the Bible, it tells us that even the demons know that. No, it's about belief, believing that Jesus is the Christ. Because if Jesus is not the Christ, there is no kingdom. There is no gospel. In this eighth chapter of Mark, it's a pivot in his gospel where, you know, Jesus had been with the disciples. They've been out preaching and teaching and healing, and they've been with him together in a lot of different situations. But here he starts sharing with them about his suffering, his death, his resurrection. He starts to speak to them plainly. And this is a part of the gospel we hear most often, I think. But even in Paul's letter that Becky read from 1 Corinthians, Paul clearly outlines the gospel that he received from Jesus. And he clearly states that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel proclaimed by Jesus and by Paul is a gospel of God's kingdom, and it's about a king who was raised from the dead. It's about a king who was an atypical king. He was an atypical king, not at all what the Jews or his disciples expected because he came as a suffering servant and he died on a cross. But the gospel is not just all about the declaration. Remember, it's also about a command. It's not about statements to accept or reject. It's about Jesus' command to repent, believe the gospel, and follow me. And this is what the call to discipleship is about. I don't know if many of you have seen the miniseries The Chosen, but there is an episode in there about the fishermen. And I love it because it's a very convincing portrayal of Jesus' call to these fishermen. But it sets the stage and starts with these three things that Jesus asks us to do, to repent, to believe in the gospel, and to follow him. Now, the word repent in our society today has kind of a negative connotation. I don't know whether that's from kind of hellfire and brimstone preaching or what, but it has a rather negative connotation. And yet, what it means is a change of mind a change of direction. And we talk about it really in terms of a turning, a turning from sin and turning towards God. The other thing about this command in the gospel is that these three things, repent, believe, and follow, these things are combined. They're meant to be combined. They're not meant to be isolated or to be separate. And the other thing is that they are continuous. It's not a one-time deal to say, okay, I repent, I believe, and I'm going to follow Jesus. No, it's ongoing. We need repentance every day. We need to believe the good news every day, and we need to follow Jesus 
every day. Bill Hall, in his book, The Discipleship Gospel, says that when Jesus called people to believe in the gospel, he assumed that obedience wasn't detached from belief, but rather the fruit of it. Spirit-filled obedience flows out of repentance, belief, and following Jesus. So what is it like to be a disciple? Well, it's, it's not about doing more work. You know, it's not about doing more Bible studies or memorizing more scripture. That's good and it's helpful. But what discipleship is really about is being Christ-like. It's about living and loving like Jesus. It's about allowing his life to live in us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus wants us to enter into his school as an apprentice. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, challenges us to think of discipleship in this way. Discipleship calls us to become apprentices of Christ and learn from him how to live our life as though he were living it. So in other words, if Jesus was a teacher or an accountant or a mechanic, what kind of a teacher, accountant, or mechanic would he be? If Jesus were you, how would he live your life? The best example from my own experience of what apprenticeship is like is during my medical residency training. After medical school, I spent three years in family medicine, but other specialties can be longer. It can be up to three to five years in training where you're working long hours, you're working under uh, a master, if you will, but seasoned professionals, and you spend a lot of time together. And sometimes you're taking care of very sick people. It's very difficult uh, situation, sometimes even life and death. But the thing I've learned is that good apprenticeship involves tension. Good apprenticeship involves tension. That's true in medicine, and it's true in discipleship. I mean, look at what happened with Jesus in the training of the Twelve. There were a lot of tense moments there. For instance, the feeding of the 5,000, where these people have been gathered for a while, and Jesus has been teaching them. They've traveled sometimes far. They're hungry. And the disciples recognize this. And so what does Jesus do in that situation? He tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. Whoa. <laughs> and what about the demoniac? When Jesus is with the disciples and they encounter this man with many demons, that must have been a hairy situation. And yet they observed what Jesus did. They saw his compassion and they saw him heal this man. Or even in the boat with a storm on the sea, Jesus is lying there asleep and the, uh, the disciples are afraid. And they wake him up. And he says, oh, you of little faith. But you see, tension is how we grow. 
when we look at the body and we see our muscles, it's through tension that our muscles grow. Just ask weightlifters and ask athletes. It's also the same for our minds or our intellect. We've all been to school and we've all been given assignments to do and sometimes they're a little hard and a little tense, but that's indeed how we grow. But the wonderful thing about apprenticeship for Jesus is that it's not about perfection. It's about progress. I mean, Peter is another good example of that. In chapter 8, he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And just a little while later in that chapter, he rebukes Jesus because it doesn't fit with his understanding of what the Messiah is to be. And yet we all know where Peter ended up being one of the great leaders of the church. None of the disciples were perfect, and none of us are either. It's about progress and not so much about perfection. Eugene Peterson is the author of The Message, a Bible paraphrase that is very commonly used today. But he also wrote another book called a long obedience in the same direction. It was a call to deeper discipleship. And that's exactly what discipleship is about. A long obedience in the same direction. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, we're told that his final command, which we know of as the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, was to go and make disciples of all nations. And that was not just a command for his disciples then, that's a command for all of us as his disciples. And oftentimes, we kind of forget about the rest of that commission. But what does it say next? Does it say, go and teach everything I have commanded you? Not exactly, it says, Go and teach obedience to all that I have commanded you. For you see, it's not about information. It's about obedience that leads to transformation. So in summary of what we've been saying this morning, what does the king say? The king shares his gospel. He announces and displays for us the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, and he calls us to a life of discipleship. This morning, I challenge all of us that we would ask the Lord how each of us can live and love like Jesus and how each of us can be a disciple maker and then obey. I believe that is then when we will be able to fulfill our church's mission, which is to equip, to nurture, and to reach out to make disciples for the transformation of the world. May it be so. Amen.